Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. by giving a, a shout out to all the moms who are uh, watching in and worshiping with us this morning. Uh, we're so thankful for you, especially in these days. Uh, as I've been home more, uh, it, it's just a realization of all that uh, my wife Holly does. And I think back to all that my mom did in the home to instill faith, um, the prayers that she prayed, uh, the person that she is. So a, a happy Mother's Day to my mom. And I know all of us will be one of making those calls today as well. You know, Mother's Day usually means a, a meal at a nice restaurant, and hopefully at least all of you moms, maybe you have a cook at home that can help, uh, maybe some takeout that you're uh, bringing in. If you're in my household, you're praying that it's not me trying to cook uh, this morning or this, this evening, uh, but we are grateful for you, and we want you to know that, uh, especially today. My appreciation for what Holly does has gone up exponentially in these last few weeks, and I know there are many different emotions on a day like Mother's Day. Some of us right now are socially distanced from our mothers. Some of us have lost our mothers in the last year or maybe even in these last few weeks. Some of us would like to be mothers and uh, we are not able to be. And some of us didn't have a good relationship with our mothers. But for all of us, we're glad that we were born and that took a mother. And so we give thanks today, no matter our situation. So this morning we continue our quarantined church series. Because right now most of us are quarantined. Life is not normal. And if you're anything like me, I go from this is great, I, I'm going to look back on these days with fondness and great memories to uh, I'm going to lose my mind if this goes on for another hour. And that's almost every single hour I'm, I'm back and forth between those emotions. We can't meet and assemble together this morning. We can't have retreats or conferences or graduations or birthday parties. And we can't have church, at least our assembly on Sunday mornings as we're used to having it. Uh, But God is not quarantined in this time and the church isn't either. We are on the move. And I'm grateful to hear the stories of the ways that you are interacting uh, as we have this campaign for Collin County. We, this last week, you saw posts on social media celebrating our seniors. We thank you for all of those who came out last Sunday for the drive-through experience that we had to celebrate them. Uh, The small groups that have adopted seniors. It was great to see the ways that we're uh, trying to love on our seniors at this time. This coming week, our focus is on essential workers. All of those who are continuing to go on, on to work, even sometimes in very uh, more dangerous circumstances because you are essential. And, and maybe for years you haven't felt like anyone's noticed uh, the work that you're doing. We want you to know we see you and we are grateful for the work you're doing, the ways that you are uh, caring 
for all those who have needs, whether that be food needs or that be other essential needs, the teachers and educators, uh, all of you that are essential in the season, we hope you feel our thanks in a new way, maybe in ways that we've taken for granted before. So this week we want to encourage all of our church uh, to be reaching out, to be sharing our love and our concern and our appreciation to the essential workers who are part of our church family and are part of our community that are serving us. So when you're at the grocery store this week, figure out a way to help uh, give thanks for those that are serving you in that way. Uh, think about our, our first responders. Think about uh, our, our educators. There's all kinds of people that are essential workers at this time. Uh, in different fields. And so we want to be a church that is for Collin County. So if you have any way of, of showing that this week, post that on social media with the hashtag for Collin County. And we'd love to pay attention and share uh, the posts that you will share with us. But as we continue in this series, I think it's important for us to know that historically God has done some of God's best work in the midst of quarantine-like situations. When Christians weren't free to meet in large gatherings and giant buildings, they met in the catacombs or in house gatherings or even stuck at home alone. And that's been the real point of this series is that Paul wrote some of his best, most mature writings and letters while he was stuck in house arrest in Rome uh, writing the pastoral epistles. Letters like Colossians and Philemon that we've talked about already in this series and Ephesians that we're going to talk about today. And if you want to read ahead for next week, uh, Philippians uh, is the, the, the letter that we'll talk about next week to conclude this series. And in those letters, 20 different times, he uses the word family to talk about the church. He sends greetings from the brothers and sisters from one city to the next. He uses the language of family to describe God's church, and he means it. And so, brothers and sisters, as we come together this morning in this strange and different way, I want to begin with prayer this morning as well as God delivers a word that each of us needs to hear this morning in the midst of our quarantine. Our God and our Father, we thank you that you are the God who is above all things. You've created all things. You're above all powers and principalities. And you've sent your Son into the world to provide us what we need in every season, but particularly in this season, there are gifts that you promised to us that we call on today. We want to grow in the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We want to grow to be people of power and peace, not through our own efforts, but through the gifts that you bestow that you promise that we're going to read about this morning in this letter from Paul to the church at Ephesus. So God, I pray this morning you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray this prayer. And all God's people said, amen. Well, if it feels a little bit like I'm all over the place this morning, uh, that's probably the case. Because this book, Ephesians, is one of my favorite letters. And I find that to be true for others as well as they love this book. They've underlined it, they've studied it. I could do a whole series and probably will at some point come back to the book of Ephesians because there's so much here. But a bit of an overview about this book. In the first three chapters, there's six chapters in the book of Ephesians. In the first three chapters, there are zero commands at all. But in the second half of the book, chapters four through six, there are over 35 commands or imperatives to the church at Ephesus. Now think about that. Why would Paul write a letter and structure it in that way? What, what does even the structure of the letter tell us about what Paul's trying to do with these Christians? I, I think what he's trying to say is, before I can tell you how you're to interact and, and how you're to follow the commands of God, you first need to understand your identity 
as a child of God. You first need to get the grace that God has given to you. You're not to earn these things first and then you understand your identity. No, your identity is set because of what Jesus Christ has done. And because of what Jesus has done, there's a way to live, we're to live our life as a result of that. And so for the first three chapters, Paul is doing his best to settle the identity of those Christians. And for those of us that may be struggling with who are we in the midst of maybe losing jobs or in the midst of uh, not having the production that we may be used to having in the past or just so much uncertainty, I want you to hear these words this morning to ground your identity as well. And so I want to read from Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1. Listen to this verse that opens the letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's Holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, who are the Ephesian Christians? Well, they are the, God's holy people, according to Paul. There are, uh, other translations uh, would translate it, they're the saints of God. That would have been a surprise to some of the listeners who heard this letter. Because this is in the city of Ephesus, right? One of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. There are more than 250,000 people who called Ephesus home at the time of the writing of this letter. Ephesus was one of the site of one of the seven great ancient wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis. And so when Paul calls them saints, many of these people were people who were once pagans who, who used to worship at the temple of Artemis. And, and I'm sure some of them are saying, whoa, 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 before you call us holy ones, you have to know our past. We were caught up in the worship of other gods. We were followers of magic cults. Maybe some of us this morning struggle a little bit to keep that title of saint or holy ones. But Paul is not concerned about who they were. Paul is concerned about who God has made them in Jesus Christ. Paul is trying to secure their identity as holy ones in Christ Jesus, to God's holy people, to the saints of the people of Ephesus. And he keeps rolling on from there. In fact, uh, this, in this letter, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14, 10 verses, is just one long run-on sentence where Paul is just going on and on. It's in this Trinitarian structure of this is who you are in God. This is what God has done. This is the love of Jesus in your life. These are the gifts of the Holy Spirit that have been given to you. It's this Trinitarian masterpiece, grammatically problematic, run-on sentence, letting them know who they are because of the work of God in all three parts. Now, I'm telling you this. This letter is rich. And I, I hope to come back to preach this in a future series. And I can't read it all this morning, but let's bump forward to, to chapter 2 and two verses that have really shaped uh, our churches and it shaped my life, really since the Protestant Reformation, though, of course, long before that. But listen to these two verses, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, therefore, it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul's saying, look, it is grace that saves you. And I just want to take a, a moment to thank the generations that have been here at Greenville Oaks before I ever arrived. And not just Greenville Oaks, but other churches, churches of Christ, the last couple of generations. I want to just thank you for the ways that you have preached this gospel message, that you've embedded it in our DNA as children in the church I grew up in. Steve Roseberry, uh, who was up here earlier, was a preacher in that era, laying out to the church a message he was discovering himself. And I want to thank also uh, others in our church family, the elders and leaders, but specifically Keith Baloney this morning. This is a message that Keith uh, brought to this church family over and over again. 
It's by grace you've been saved. And this was a new message to many people who heard legalistic standards about here are the commands you do and then you can understand your identity. But, but Keith was one in this church for 20 plus years who made sure that we understood that it's by grace that we have been saved. It is a gift of God. And, and so what I love is that my generation and those who are younger are just starting from this place. My kids don't have to unlearn the things that so many of you have. And so I just want to thank the generations who've come before me here and other places that have planted this message deeply in our DNA. I, we believe this. It's by grace we've been saved. Again, there are no commands in verses 8 and 9. In fact, Paul says, you can't work to earn this. This is a gift of God. Grace is a gift to be received with gratitude. So there's no boasting because we haven't done anything. It's Jesus who has done it. The title of believer is given to everyone who believes in Jesus. And then Paul goes on to share one of the most powerful sections of Scripture about the sacrifice of what Jesus did on the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ destroyed every barrier between Jews and Gentiles. Thanks to Jesus' finished work on the cross, Jesus brought peace between warring parties and tribes. On the cross, Jesus removed the word them from our vocabulary. And I think about this section that talks about the dividing wall of hostility. If you think back to that Friday when Jesus died, the temple and the curtain was torn in two. It, it was the curtain that was between, of course, the Holy of Holies and the people of God. But there were other walls that had been set up in the temple. Walls that were the court of the Gentiles and then those that could go inside of that. Women were, were kept outside of the inner sanctum where the Jewish men could come together. There were walls that distanced people from God and there were walls that distanced people from one another. And when Jesus died on that cross, the wall was torn down, the dividing wall of hostility. And the early church has to figure this out as well. How are we going to involve these Jews and Gentiles? This is the mystery that God does. And, and Paul's writing from the city of, of Rome. And he's writing to this church at Ephesus, and he's trying to remind them in the midst of Jews and Gentiles, these racially separate, these, these people who come from very different backgrounds, and it was causing problems in all the churches he's writing to. But it is his heart to say, the cross of Jesus Christ has changed something that is not a reality in the world around us. This week, uh, we've seen the dividing wall of hostility. We, we are, the name Ahmad Arbery is a name that I did not know last week. And many of you have uh, gone on runs this week and posted about that. You've you posted and, and, and given messages to talk about the importance of seeing the image of God in every single human being. You know if you've been in this church that this matters to my heart. That I care deeply that the racial divides in our country and around the world are changed. And it's the body of Christ that has a chance to change those things. And yet so often on Sunday mornings we are separated. That dividing wall of hostility is something we have re rebuilt in many cases. And it's moments like these in our country that we need to be reminded of this book in Ephesians. The gospel of Jesus Christ is found throughout the struggle of the early church to realize that even though we come from different places and different backgrounds and we look differently, that can't be the way that we judge one another. That can't be the way that this battle goes down. I could preach so much longer on this, but we are praying for especially the mother of Alma this morning on Mother's Day and for all those in our community and around the world who are experiencing injustice and experiencing this dividing wall that continues uh, to divide when Jesus has actually torn it down. I hope somebody will say amen to that this morning. So again, the message of Ephesians 1-3 through 3 is this. You are God's holy people in the city of Ephesus and in Collin County. 
Praise be to God for the gifts that he has freely given us in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit. We were dead in our sins, but God's great love for us has made us alive. God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive in Christ. We are saved by grace, not by works that no one can boast. And that gives us no reason to boast or exclude others. Because the wall of hostility has been torn down. That's the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jew and Gentile has been brought together. What is that mystery? Paul speaks about it clearly in Ephesians 3 verse 6. It says this mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? And yet it's good news, it just doesn't need to be proclaimed, it needs to be lived out by the church of God. Three chapters, no commands, plenty of good news. But once we receive our identity in Christ, from all of that good news, we have a battle that we are called to engage. And I want you to notice how uh, chapter 4 opens up. Let's read together in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul reminds him, I'm I'm in chains here. I'm a prisoner because of what I've done for Jesus. And yet, even while he is chained to a Roman guard, and unable to join the Ephesians in their mission, he is concerned about their battle. In chapter 6, he's going to tell them about the armor that they need to put on for this battle. We'll get to that in a little bit. But even in chapter 4, you can hear him encouraging them to fight a battle well. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now in chapter 3, he made it clear who created the peace that Paul is referring to. Jesus is the peace who has made the two groups into one, who has torn down that wall of hostility that allows Jews and Gentiles to come together. Jesus is the one who destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus was the one who purposed in himself to create one new humanity out of these two separate groups, making peace between Jews and Gentiles. And so this is important for us this week as we think about Ahmad and as we think about the situation in our country in the midst of all the things that divide us in the season of being apart. We don't create any kind of unity. The unity doesn't come because of our efforts. It's the unity of the Spirit that's a gift to us. But it is our job to maintain the Spirit of unity, the unity of the Spirit that's been given to us. And Paul says you're to make every effort, every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. So we have to fight to remain united. It's a battle to maintain the unity of the body in times like these. And there are many forces that we see at work to divide and to tear apart. There's a couple of themes in this uh, book of Ephesians that I want to point out that we've been singing about this morning that are, are really what I think are important for us as we seek this battle to maintain and keep and battle for the unity of the church and the unity of our communities. For Paul, the battle we wage is a battle for peace. So some have called Ephesians the gospel of peace. The other thing we're going to talk about is power, uh, the power that allows us to engage that gospel of peace. But this is a theme that happens throughout the letter. Paul actually opens the letter by saying these words in verse 2, grace and peace. Paul ends the letter in a similar way. You see this theme showing up all throughout. Listen to this in Ephesians 6, verses 23 and 24, the last verses of the book. He says, peace 
to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And the mystery that Christ died to offer us according to chapter 2 is this peace. Ephesians 2 verses 14 and 15. For he himself, talking about Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Why? Thus making peace. And the peace that Paul is talking about is not the peace we often refer to, the absence of conflict. We often think that if, as long as no one's fighting, then peace must be present. But Paul grew up with a much uh, richer word in the Jewish vocabulary, the Hebrew language, the word shalom, which we translate as peace. And shalom is not the absence of conflict. John, shalom is about the presence of something. It's about the wholeness, the, 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 the way things should be as they were at the very beginning, being reestablished in the world. It's the conflict between God and humanity that's being restored. It's the conflict between people groups that's being restored. It's even the conflict between creation that's groaning and humans that sometimes cause that groaning. And the evil one is constantly battling to take that kind of shalom from our lives. Some of you need to hear this right now. I was thinking about some of you right now that are feeling a lack of peace, a lack of shalom in your life for all kinds of reasons. Some of you, uh, peace was something that you had a decade ago. You think about the last 10 years, the last five years, it's been stolen from you in some way. You're not at ease as you once were. Things are not as they were. And some of you, you, you thought things were at peace in January, and what you're realizing is it, it's not January anymore. It seems like years ago now, right? And things have really changed, and this pandemic has stolen that peace from you. But what Paul says, and the imagery in the book of Ephesians is, you have to fight, you have to battle for the peace that God brings into your life. It comes from a power that's beyond yourself, and that peace is what Jesus came to offer. So if you want to know how to do that, how to find the peace that maybe you've lost, how to battle for the peace that God wants to bring into our lives in the midst of the storm, I want you to pay attention to what Paul says near the end of the letter. I want to camp out here in, in chapter 6 as we uh, come to see how Paul concludes this letter. This is Ephesians 6 verse 10. Paul, Paul writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We've sung this morning about God's mighty power. The battle belongs to the Lord. God is a mighty warrior. He's a consuming fire. We've talked about this and sang about this. He says, be strong. And, and you're saying, but I don't have any strength left. How can I remain strong in the midst of what's going on? I have nothing left. But the promise here is it's not your strength that you're trying to maintain and muster up. Your strength comes from the Lord. He says, be strong in the Lord. And in whose mighty power? In his mighty power. This is not about the strength that you're able to maintain. It's about a strength that is endued, that is given to you from on high. It is God's power that will allow you to wage war for peace in your life. So how do I make use of God's power? How do I attain this power that's promised that we're to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power? Well, let's read on verses 11 and following. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, 
Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Now Paul is in prison as he's writing these words. He's fighting a battle of his own. You think Paul might be struggling to find peace in his life? You think Paul wishes he could escape prison and join the Ephesian church and all the others he's writing to? I think so. As I was writing this sermon, I was imagining Paul writing these words, and I imagined him uh, all of a sudden looking down at his ankle, and seeing the chain that was bound around his ankle, and following that chain, and all of a sudden seeing that chain connected to the ankle of the guard that was attached to him. And I imagined him coming up with all of this imagery that he writes in this chapter by looking over at the guard that he's chained to. And I imagine him following that chain to the foot of the guard, and then I imagine him looking at the armor the guard was wearing. And the guard's armor becomes an image for the armor that he wants for Christians to put on in God's mighty power to fight the battle that we must fight. If you're going to wage a war for peace, you're going to have to wear the right kind of armor, Paul writes. So it's God's power you need for this battle. But you have to access that power. You have to put on the armor. That's our part, and it's God's strength But there are things we can do to help protect us. So it's God's power you need in this battle, but you have to access and put on the armor. And you have to remember that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle against powers and spiritual forces. That's really strange language to our Western ears. Powers and spiritual forces. I mean, we live after the Enlightenment, right? We live in an age of data and proofs. We live in an era of iPhones. We live in an era where if you can't prove it with the five senses, most people think it doesn't exist. For, for centuries, people have lost the belief in the supernatural and only believe in things that we can see, hear, taste, feel, and touch. We live in a world that has become disenchanted. But then all of a sudden, a pandemic shows up, and I want you to notice how our language has shifted over the last few weeks. Have you noticed? What is the president of the United States call our current battle? A war against the invisible enemy. Fascinating language, isn't it? It's an interesting choice of language in light of our, co- our culture's focus on what's physical and what you can see and what you can verify. It's odd to be outside and know the whole world has taken such extreme measures to control the spread of something that we can't see. We can't exactly measure ourselves. We know there are deaths, we know it's making an impact, but we don't exactly see what's changed in our world around us. And that's the image that Paul's working with. He's saying there are forces that you cannot see. There's a battle that you you don't even know that's going on, and if you're not aware of that invisible enemy, well, you're not going to know how to protect yourself and, and take on God's power in the midst of it. So what do we do? Well, Paul looks over at his guard, right? And he makes a connection. Just as Paul's guard puts on armor to protect himself against potential threats, we need to do the same thing in our fight for peace. Listen to this in verses 14 and following chapter 6. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you're fighting for peace this morning, and I would imagine a good percentage of us are, let me encourage you to spend some time with these verses. 
Maybe these are verses that you want to wake up in the morning and actually put that armor on as you enter into the day. Maybe there are verses you need to memorize yourself because you know that you're battling for peace right now in your family in the midst of this issue we're going through. Remember, you are not to fight this with your own power. You're to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. The silent enemy, the invisible enemy, has no weapons that will prosper with these pieces of armor that we put on. But as I think back on this letter, I think about the impact of Ephesians and the church in the early days. It all seems so improbable, doesn't it? A chained prisoner in Rome is writing to this small group of followers of Jesus in the city with 250,000 people with one of the great wonders of the world that's in it. If you look up at the high point of the city, you see the temple of Artemis. You see all the people who stream to it all throughout the week to be involved in their rituals and to be involved in their service and worship to the gods that seem so much more powerful than this crucified Lord that you worship. They're outnumbered by the thousands who worship at the temple of Artemis. Who among them was hopeful enough to believe that somehow their house churches would turn into billions of people around the world, worshiping in homes, confessing something as strange as that Jesus is Lord. And yet today, the temple of Artemis is just a few ruins. And the church of God is worshiping all throughout the world. Perhaps more are hearing the message of God on a Sunday today than ever before because of technology, because of the messages that can go out, because of what God has done in the world. It was improbable. But God has a way of beating the probabilities, doesn't he? And as I think about what's happened this week in our country, as I think about all that we're struggling with, as I think about the news that many of you are receiving, all the improbabilities, all the battles that we're fighting, all the wars that we're waging, trying to find peace in the midst of those storms, we need a power beyond ourselves, don't we? And I want to close this morning by praying for you to have that kind of power. In fact, there's a prayer that Paul prays. And I want to close by praying that prayer. It's in Ephesians chapter 3, it's verses 14 to 21. I've been praying this prayer over you this week. I've been actually finding myself on my knees praying this prayer on your behalf because that's the position that Paul takes. He he says, I I pray for you. I kneel before the Father as I lift up this prayer to you. And so I just want to invite you in this time, in the midst of whatever battle you're facing, maybe this morning it's your home that you know that your marriage isn't right. Maybe there's a, a distance that's grown between parents and adults in this. Or maybe there's there's something that you need to squash that's going on with coworkers, or, or there's sin in your life. There's just a peace that isn't there. And I want to pray this morning that God would give you that peace, that we can put on the full armor of God. In the midst of our country, with all that's happened over these last, this last week, I want to pray for God in the same power to tear down all the dividing walls of hostility that still are at play in our world. And so I want to invite you in your own home right now, even with those that you may feel distance from, Uh, to get on your knees right now before God. I'm going to pray for my knees as well. And what I want to ask is for God to answer the same prayer that Paul wrote so many years ago. So I hope that many of you who can will do this. And maybe this week this is a prayer you'll come back to. I end with this. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power, through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, 
being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to be to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people say, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Make sure to give us a rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.